We are going to finish up Hebrews chapter 9 today and then move on into Hebrews chapter 10. So remember the situation of what's happening in the book of Hebrews is that there are Jews living around Jerusalem in 68 AD. This is two years before the onslaught of the Romans are going to wipe out, uh, um, wipe out Jerusalem. And these Jews uh, don't know that this onslaught is going to occur. And the persecution is becoming heavy upon them because these Jews around Jerusalem have received Jesus. This, is, this book is written to Jews who have received Jesus. So the very Messianic Jews that we had been talking about. But their persecution from the Jews themselves, the mainline Jews, was getting quite heavy. And they were thinking about going back into Judaism. And then when the persecution would subside, they'd come back into Christ. And the author is warning them about this. You can't do that because the ultimately what will happen is if you come back under Judaism, you're going to end up in Jerusalem rather than living in the Judean Valley. You're going to end up in Jerusalem and you're going to get killed physically in that onslaught that's going to occur. And the author who wrote this doesn't know it's going to happen in 70 AD, but he knows that it was going to happen very soon as Jesus had prophesied. So that's the context of what's happening. So let, let's, let's look on down to, uh, we'll start in verse 22, in verse 22 of, of Hebrews chapter 9. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. So he says that according to the law, so he keeps making this comparison, as we read last week, to the tabernacle in the wilderness. He says, according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. Now, why almost? Because not everything was cleansed with blood. If you look back in the Old Testament, some things were cleansed with water, and some things didn't need cleansing at all. They were inherently clean. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these things. But the heavenly things themselves with, better, with a better sacrifice than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Look at what this says, is that Christ appeared in heaven itself, In the presence of God for us. Why did Christ appear before God? For us, on our behalf. Jesus does this on our behalf. Like we had read in Hebrews chapter uh, uh, 7. It says in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. He always lives to make intercession on our behalf. Jesus lives, it says, to pray for us. Jesus lives to make intercession on our behalf. Here it says that... He appears in the presence of God for us. The guy is doing everything for us. So much behind the scenes. And you know what I think about in this context? It's very much like a two-year-old. You take a two-year-old with you on a family vacation. Two-year-old doesn't have to pack their bag, but all of their stuff is there. Because their mom and dad take care of everything. They don't have to worry about plane tickets. They don't have to worry about hotel reservations. They're just there. I mean, everything's taken care of when you're two years old. And that's the way it should be. Your parents take care of every detail of your life. You don't have to worry about anything. Jesus is there taking care of all these things, working behind the scenes. And we're saying, Lord, where are you in my life? Are you even here? He's like, oh my goodness, you have no idea how much I've been doing for you. 
Here I am in the presence of God for you. Here I am living to pray for you. Here He appears in the presence of God for us. This is what God does. Nor was it that He would offer Himself often as high priest, as a high priest enters the holy place once a year by, with blood that is not His own. Otherwise, he would, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifest to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. So remember, Jesus offers up his own blood. All the other priests offered up the blood of animals. Jesus is deeply invested in this thing. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for the salvation, for, second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. So, to those who are saved, those who are eagerly awaiting Him, when Jesus Christ returns, it's not an issue of dealing with sins anymore. That He's already dealt with. It's an issue of salvation, taking into salvation those who are eagerly awaiting Him. But it says, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. This is a general proclamation of how things normally are. You know, there are two men in the Bible that did not die and were taken directly to, a, to heaven. One was Elijah, Elijah and the other was Enoch before him. Many people say, and I've even said, that, that uh, it may well be those two men or the two men that are, are going to appear in the book of Revelation because they've never died. It says that it is appointed for all men to die once, uh, for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. But this can't be a category that it's, that's the only way because we know of several people. So for example, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And in John chapter 12, verse 12, it says Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now Lazarus was going to die again. Eventually he was going to grow old and die. And then he will be resurrected on the last day. So in other words, there is a man who died multiple, was going to die at least twice, not once. Uh, uh, and if you look in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53, it says, When Jesus died on the cross, the veil on the temple was rent from top to bottom, and many of the tombs broke open of these saints, meaning these people that had died under the Old Testament law, and some of these people were walking around. It says then they were witnessing there in Jerusalem. I mean, that's kind of an odd thing. You, 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 several of our students were, were, were in Jerusalem. Did you see the, these uh, the, these stone sepulchers and stuff all over the place. I mean, there's a lot of people buried there. Some of those broke open when Jesus died on the cross and saints came out so that they had died. They came out. They were alive. So they must have died again because I don't think any of them are alive right now. So this saying that is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment can't be a categorical all it must be a general sense. And so also for those in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 that are going to be raptured, that are going to be taken directly to heaven, they will not die. There will be believers in Christ when Jesus returns. I'm sorry, the rapture is different than the date of his return. When the rapture occurs, they're going to be taken directly to heaven without ever dying. So there's men that are going to live and go directly to heaven without ever physically dying. So this is this is in the general sense, but this... Most people fulfill this. They die once and then comes judgment. All right, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. For since 
for, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect the one who, those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered because the, the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is the reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls, blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So again, remember the theme of the book of Hebrews. He's comparing the Old Testament law to what Jesus has brought in. Always saying that what Jesus has brought in is much better, far superior. There was the continually off, the continual offering up, but now we, 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 we function under this one offering that Jesus has brought in. Verse five. Therefore, When he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In hope, burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So this is the prophetic word. This is a capturing a picture from the Old Testament. Remember, what the book of Hebrews does, that's unlike most books of the New Testament, is he takes large portions of the Old Testament and puts it in here. And here, this is a prophetic word concerning the things of Jesus that he did. So he comes in to heaven's glory, says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. This is fundamentally what he came for, to do the will of God, to do the will of his Father. And this is then repeated. In verse 8 it says, And after saying above, sacrifice and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. So you see, he repeats this, I have come to do your will. So in the span of, of, of about three verses, he says, I've come to do your will. This is what I want to talk about today. How do we understand the will of God? And the typical prayer in our generation is this, Lord, what is your will for my life? Lord, what is your will for my life? The whole emphasis is my life. It's all about me, you know, because you're there for me, right? I mean, it's all about me. What is your will for my life? It's all about me. And what I want to do is I want to look in the scriptures about how did God lead people? Because the hardest thing for us often is to discern the will of God. How does he lead people? And it's very important to be serving God. Remember when, when Satan, the, in, 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 uh, In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Satan took Jesus up to a very high mountain and offered him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Everything. And then he says, I'll give you all this if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, you shall worship, he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only, we will only be fulfilled, not in all the things of the world, Jesus is saying, only in these two things, in the worship of God and the service of him. It is in the worship of God and the service of Him. This is why participation in the body of Christ is so important. 
because it is in the worship of God. Yes, you can stay home and just worship God yourself. You can do that. But to serve him, you've got to be around other people. As believers, we are in the people business. This is what it's about. We serve God. It's in the service to him. And this is why I have, I have uh, differences with some friends of mine who just kind of retire and buy a ranch and go far away and just sit back for themselves. I'm like, how can you do that? We are in the people business. This is what it's all about. You sit up at your ranch, you're very comfortable. That's really great. But remember, we are in the business of serving the Lord and you'll never be satisfied until you learn how to worship God and serve him, Jesus said. Worshiping God and serving Him. And then in, in, in John chapter 12, verse 20, it's 12, verse 26, John 12, 26, it says, it says, Whoever comes to me shall follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus said, whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. So much is wrapped around service. Understanding the will of God. So let's look at how the apostles understood the will of God. How did they understand the will of God for their lives? So let's look at, at, at uh, Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, and we're just going to follow the apostles for a while and see what things looked like for them. How, how were things going for them? The things that happened in their lives. So in Acts chapter 15, there was this big gathering of all the, the apostles and all the top people in the church in Acts chapter 15. And let me give you the context of what's happening. So if you think, hey, you know, I don't want to be a member of this church because this church has problems. Well, then you couldn't have been a member of the first, the New Testament church either. Every church has problems. It's like every family. And this is what happens in families. Problems start happening in a marriage and somebody says, I don't want this. Before I got married, I didn't ever had any of these problems. And boom, you just run out. And then they go into another marriage and another marriage, and it's the same thing. You work through problems. You don't trash a marriage because of problems. You don't trash a church because of problems. You work through it. They had a big problem in the church because Gentiles started getting saved. That means people who were not Jews started getting saved in Acts chapter 9. And as a result of that, then lots and lots of Gentiles, non-Jews, started getting saved, and they thought that this is impossible. People had to first become Jewish and then they could become believers in Christ. And you look at that, how conf- they're not very smart, are they? They don't have to do that. Well, they were really concerned. They, didn't know, they were trying to figure this out. And many people were arguing, many of the head people were arguing, yes, they have to first become Jews and then they be- can become Christians. Imagine if we put all that upon you. All of you have to become Jews. Then you can become Christian. So this was a big confusion. Finally, they decided, and, and Paul spoke on behalf, no, don't make these Gentiles become Jews. Let them go directly to Christ. So look in verse 22 of Acts chapter 15. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Barnabas Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among them, and they sent them this, and they sent this letter with them. So, in other words, they decided, no, Gentiles don't have to become Jews, let's not put that upon them. But they had to now tell the Gentile churches. So they're going to go, they're going to tell this church in Antioch. Whose church is that? That's Paul's church. Remember, he was originally sent out from the church in Antioch. So they're going to send him back. But look what it says in verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church. 
It's not like God said, thou shalt take a letter and go to the church of Antioch and proclaim this. Didn't happen that way. It just seemed good. It seemed good. It seemed good to the leaders of that church and to the whole church. Hey, that's a good idea. Let's send Paul back with a letter from this commission, from this committee we had, reading to them what was going on. And, and so they went back and they did that. So they sent them. So go down to verse 28 of Acts chapter 15. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from the things strangled and from fornication. For if you keep yourself free from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So these are the things they, they said, because you live around many Jews, do nothing to be of offense to them. So in other words, don't, don't eat, eat uh, uh, things that have been sacrificed to idols because you're going to upset Jews all around you. Because further up it says, because Moses is read in all the churches. In other words, you're going to have Jews around. But the key is here, verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Again, it seemed good. So in other words, within the context of the body of Christ, it's not that it seemed good to me. It seems good to me that I should do whatever I want to do. So it seems good to me. No, it's within the context of the body of Christ. Do other people have this affirmation of spirit? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to us. So as we've waited before the Lord, hey, this is, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. It seemed good to us. I remember when, when, uh, when the Lord was just, just putting Shireen on my heart. This was a long time ago. I was in college. And, 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 uh, and I went and I shared it with the leadership of the church. And we decided, he, and the pastor went and spoke to her father. And we decided to pray for six months. And I said, you know, I just want agreement here. And we prayed for six months. And, and I told them, if we're not all in agreement, I don't want to, you know, let, we won't get married. We just want to s- discern the will of God. And after six months, everybody was in agreement except the associate pastor, who was a good friend of mine. And, uh, and, then, and then I said, you know, well, we're not all in agreement. And the pastor said, let's pray another six months. So we prayed another six months and we just sought the Lord. And, and I was fine with that. I wanted to know the will of God. And after another six months, we were all in agreement. All the leadership of the church, the families were in agreement, Shereen and I were in agreement, and the leadership of the church. And this is why, in my marriage, I've never had this doubt that, uh-oh, I married the wrong person. I mean, this happens a lot in marriages. You think that doesn't happen? Oh, you, <laughs> you don't know much. This happens all the time. There's a, there was this couple telling me, I mean, the, her wedding night, her wedding night, she said, what, she said to her, the guy she just married, what if I married the wrong person? I mean, that's how, I, and he looked at her, he says, well, then you got lucky. <laughs> Which I thought was a great reply. But, but we, I never had this doubt. I never had this doubt. So when you have the agreement from the body of Christ, it adds tremendous affirmation to what we think might be the word of God. I mean, I've heard people, you know, in prayer time, they say, you know, I was just praying and I felt the Lord, you know, I met this girl and I felt God saying, go for it. And I said, I don't, I don't affirm that at all. I don't hear that at all. That to me doesn't sound scriptural at all. And so you see, we can hear all sorts of little voices in our mind, but it's within the context of the body of Christ that these things happened. And then, and then if you look in verse, in verse 33 of the same 
chapter, Acts chapter 15, verse 33. And after they had spent some time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others the word of the Lord. So within the context of service, they stayed there teaching. Within the context of service, this is the important point here. Within the context of service, they hear God for what should come in the future. So in other words, if we think that we're going to sit in our little room and somehow God is going to speak to us about what we should do with our lives, that's, that's an anomaly. He doesn't normally do that. It's within the context of serving that he leads us. So here they are serving in that church in Antioch. Now you pick up Acts chapter 16 because Acts, like the book of Luke, is written chronologically. It's the only two books in the Bible that specifically say that they've been written chronologically. The other Gospels have not been written chronologically. But, the, but Acts and Luke and Acts have, have, have specifically said they've been, re, they've been written chronologically. So this is the next thing that happens. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Skip on down to verse 4 of Acts chapter 16. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and they were increasing in number. So here they were serving, going from city to city, preaching. What were they sharing? They were sharing the letter that was written by the committee to to make it easy for the, the Gentiles to come into the faith. And they were increasing in number. People were getting converted. Verse 6, they passed through Phrygian, through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia. That's interesting. So they were passing through the Phrygian and Galatian region, and they wanted, so they're going up north, from Antioch, which is where Syria is. They're going up north and they wanted to go right. They wanted to turn right and go into Asia. They wanted to go toward India, toward China. That's where they wanted to go. But the Holy Spirit, it says, forbade them from going. Forbade them to speak the word of God in Asia. The Holy Spirit. How did that happen? Did the Holy Spirit speak? We don't know exactly how it happened. But as they're going and preaching, there were some obstacles there where the Holy Spirit forbade them to be able to go. Maybe a border crossing guard said, you guys aren't going here. All right, we're not going. You know, there are things that redirect us in our life. Watchman Nee, the great Chinese believer who spent the last 20 some odd years of his life in prison and ultimately died in prison for his faith, used to say, never think yourself so spiritual that you do not have to be led by circumstances. Very often circumstances change things. You lose your job. Well, guess what? You're not in that job anymore. (laughs) You know, Joseph and Mary were up in Nazareth. Jesus, according to the scriptures, had to be born in Bethlehem. Well, God could have sent an angel to Joseph and Mary saying, get down to Bethlehem, but he didn't. What he did is he had a decree from Caesar Augustus saying, we're going to have a census. Everybody go back to your hometown. You're led by circumstances. And Mary, what was with Mary? She was great with child. And she had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 
which is probably, I don't know, a four-day walk for a person who's not great with child. And we have this image that she rode a donkey. But no, they were very poor. Remember, all they could offer up were, were, were turtle doves. They were very poor, so they didn't own a donkey. So here she's having to waddle on down to, to Bethlehem, this journey that was probably a week. And, and I have first, first-hand experience in this, so I know more about this than you do. When a woman is great with child, their patience levels decrease as the child increases. She must have been really hot over these things. Anything Joseph did, I mean, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, everything. And, and I just remember, uh, with, with my wife is like a saint. She's really a saint. My secretary used to say, she has to be a saint to be married to you. But <laughs> she would lose her patience in, 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 those, in those sorts of times. And uh, uh, so it couldn't have been good. I feel sorry for Joseph. I really do. What he had to bear. But God directed them through circumstances. You would think that with the, the greatest event that's going to happen in all of mankind, well, the second greatest, the, the virgin birth, the greatest was the, was, was the death and physical resurrection. The second greatest thing that he could have directed them by some angelic... No. He had a decree from Caesar Augustus. Circumstances were leading them. Here, you see, you see that, that, that uh, they weren't allowed to go into Asia. And then it says... And, and uh, verse 7, and after that, they came to Mysia. They were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them and passing them by Mysia. So you had the Holy Spirit, you had the Spirit of Jesus, and in the same portion you have God the Father. So you have the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Jesus all directing them, but He didn't permit them. They wanted to go, they were trying to go to Bithynia. But he didn't permit them. What do you mean? Does that mean Jesus stood there? You're not, you're not getting by me. No way. You're not getting by me. No, I mean, we don't know what the circumstances were. But the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. There was something. Maybe they, they felt that they didn't have the liberty. But they had wanted to go to, into Bithynia. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. How is God leading them? He has a dream. In his dream, a man is saying, Come to Macedonia and help us. He doesn't say it was Jesus saying, Come in, because Jesus doesn't need help. Jesus was there with them. He wasn't sitting in Macedonia. Some man... And so from this, he concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel. How are they being led? They are being led in the midst of service. When we serve, we get led a whole lot easier. It's, you know, like the old saying, it's much easier to steer a moving ship. A ship that's not moving, very hard to get it to turn. How you know, how can I best be about your work, Lord? It's not about me. You know, everything is, Lord, what do you want from my life? My life, my life. My life is central to the universe. No, it's, Lord, your work. Your work needs to be done. How can I best fit in with your plan? That turns the whole thing of the will of God differently. How can my life fit in with your plan? Verse 11, so putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neopolis, and from there to 
Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia. So he had had this dream. Boom, they go straight for the district of Macedonia. And it took them a while. You know, they get in on ships. They got to buy tickets. It's not like you get in a car. Boom, you're right there. I mean, this took some time. Macedonia, a Roman colony, and they were staying in this city for some days. So they get there. It's like, well, Lord, uh, you wanted us here. I mean, come on. I'm a busy guy. People to see, places to go. Here I am. What am I supposed to do? Come on, come on, come on. Tell me, tell me, tell me. It wasn't happening right away. You got there. Now it doesn't happen right away. They were staying in the city for some days. All right, we're here. They don't, you know, no church is welcome. Come on into our church, preach. We, we, in fact, we got the whole stage set up for you. You just came. <laughs> no, there was none of that. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began speaking to the women who had assembled. So in other words, there's this Jewish tradition that you can go on the Sabbath day, go sit by a river and pray. And so they, they presumed that there would be some, some prayer there because that's where Jew, Jewish people would gather to pray. And there were just women who would assemble there and they start preaching to the women. They start preaching to them. A woman from a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So she was a worshiper of the Lord, meaning that she was of the believing remnant of the Jews. She heard the word of the Lord Jesus, and she opened her heart to it. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Well, Lord, did you, did you want him staying in the house of Lydia? I don't know. She just said, come and stay in our house. You know, our house is great. I mean, just a big heart. She gets saved and she says, hey, all of you guys can stay in our home. Got an extra, some extra rooms. Come and stay with us. Okay. Is this the will of God? Do you see what I mean? God doesn't say, turn left, turn right, you know, go, go in this person. You serve the Lord. And he gives you this general direction and he closes doors and he speaks to the heart of the body of Christ. You see all of these different ways functioning within the body of Christ. There is leading, there is anointing, but it is not this constant, do this, go get a haircut today, go over here, go to Walmart and buy this today. You're not going to hear that. And if you hear that, you're a little messed up because that's not generally how it works. And there's some people that hear just like that. And I'll tell you, I've met people like that, and it's kind of kooky to me. It is. And those people generally have a, you know, they get all upset in life. It's not a, it's not a normal life, according to the scriptures. How did God lead? And you can just watch it here in the book of Acts. Follow the book of Acts from here on. You just read this through and see, how did the Spirit lead them? He opened doors, he closed doors, he spoke through dreams, but it was always in the context of other believers in the body of Christ. This is how God speaks this is how we know His will. So as He talks about, I have come to do Your will, O God. What is Your will for me? This is about You and Your work. And let me close with this story. About a month and a half ago, I had, I had a, a period of about a week where five proposals that I had written were not funded. Now, this is a big deal. You've got a lot of mouths to feed. I'm thinking, Lord, maybe You want me doing something else. I mean, maybe I should... You know, and... and you know, I, I can go head up this think tank. I can go run this company. People always coming with offers. And Shereen just said, just settle down. 
you have work to do here. Be about the work of the Lord. He'll bring you funding. Just, and, and then, this is the great thing. I mean, I just have, have Shireen just speak into my life. It's like the Holy Spirit just tells me, just settle down. Just settle down. Just relax. And say, okay, Lord, I will serve you faithfully right here where you have me until I can't support students anymore. And, uh, and I, mean, I don't mean you students. I mean my graduate students. And so, so you know, you, you just learn how to rest in what God has. That when He wants you in a place, He fulfills and He sustains us. This is what He does. And it never stops. It's not like, you, you know, at some point when you get your job, now you can stop asking for direction. No, there's constantly, there's constant, Lord, let me be about Your will. Where should I serve in the body of Christ? Where should I be serving in the churches? What should I be doing? But it's about Him and let my life come into conformity with Your will. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for the Word of God. Lord, I thank You because it should be I have come to do Your will. My God, I have come to do Your will. Father, I pray that You take these young people that you help them to understand that in service they will be directed. In the body of Christ, in the context of believers, they will know that which seems right. Father, I pray for your grace upon them, the grace of God to shower in upon them. Father, I pray for your mercies and for your grace to be upon them. Lord, I pray for your direction. And Lord, that many people here would be about your work and that which is important to you, and that they would take their lives and conform it into that which is the purpose that you would have them. Lord, I pray for those here who are unbelievers. Father, I pray that this day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. May the Lord Jesus be glorified. Draw them to your Son, I pray, for the glory of Jesus and in His name. Amen.